Are You Serious podcast presents Star Wars Tales from Jabba's Palace. Sleight of Hand, The Tale of Mara Jade by Timothy Zahn. The dance ended and the music was silenced. She stood as she had finished, on single tiptoe, her opposite arm upstretched, reaching with silent eloquence for the stars of the Empire or perhaps merely the approval of her master. For a pair of heartbeats, she held the pose. Then, with a dramatic flourish, she collapsed again to the floor, arms sweeping around and onto the floor in front of her like the wings of a downed bird, legs shifting to curl half around her, one in front and one behind, torso bent forward over her arms. Grace and beauty and style transformed in an instant to unworthiness and submission and humility. The precise combination or so she'd been told that Jabba the Hutt liked in his dancers. As did presumably the fat, scar-headed man sprawled on the couch in front of her, but the seconds dragged on and he just sat there, not speaking, watching her. She held her pose, breathing quickly and shallowly under cramped lungs, and wondered if she should go ahead and get up without waiting for permission. But the fat man had already demonstrated his enjoyment of giving orders, particularly to helpless underlings. If she wanted to become one of those underlings, it would be best to allow him that extra little bit of egotism. So she waited for his orders, and after a few seconds more, he was ready to give them. Rise, he said, his tone as indulgent as the rest of him. Come here. She did so. Up close, he was even more repulsive, his vaguely greasy aroma approaching suffocation level. But Jabba himself, she knew would be worse. Maybe this was part of the test. You dance very well, Arika, he said, looking her up and down. Very well indeed. Tell me, what else do you do well? Whatever my master Jabba the Hutt would require of me, she said. He smiled, his small eyes almost disappearing into folds of flesh. Very good, he said. Not what I would require, but what Jabba, your master, would require. A wise answer, but perhaps not wise enough. Tell me, would it surprise you to know that I once was Jabba the Hunt? She blinked, giving him her best stupid, helpless, lost look. You were... I don't understand. I was Jabba the Hutt, he repeated smugly. Not really, of course, but for a time many on Tatooine thought so. I was the one, you see, whom Jabba always sent outside the palace to meet with people. Kept his anonymity that way. A good smuggler always keeps a few secrets. You see now who exactly you're dealing with here. Yes, I see, she said. She did, too. He was the expendable one, the man Jabba sent out to take whatever blaster shots as many enemies might care to fire in his direction. The stupid one, moreover, too dazzled by the pseudo-glamour and pseudo-power of the role to realize he was little more than assassin bait. But for all that, a man Jabba must have trusted at least enough to finalize his deals and not flop the charade in the process. And who, thus, had probably earned whatever microscopic gratitude the hut was capable of? Someone not to be crossed, at least not openly. Good, the fat man said softly. Well then, you're hired. You'll start on the midnight shift. You never know when Jabba might want some entertainment. He looked at the door and snapped his fingers. One of the Gamorrean guards detached himself from the door and lumbered over. The guard will show you the way. I'll see you later, Arika. I will be honored, she said, bowing humbly as she backed away, groveling before him. But that was all right. Let the petty man revel in his petty power over her. Trusted underling of one of the most powerful crime lords in the Empire. He was still nothing. She could crush him with a word. Could bring down Jabba's entire organization on a whim. Could burn this backwater planet to a core of glazed sand with a single order. And, if none of that happened, it was merely because she had more important matters to attend to. For she was Mara Jade, the Emperor's Hand, here to await the arrival of Luke Skywalker and to kill him. 
The Emperor's face seemed to hover in the air in front of Mara, his yellow eyes glittering with a satisfaction. So you are inside, his thoughts said. Skywalker has not yet appeared. Not yet, she thought back at him. But Solo is still here. When Skywalker comes, I'll be ready. The eyes glittered again and Mara felt the warmth of his approval fill her mind. Excellent, his thoughts said. Such a threat must be eliminated. Mara permitted herself a small smile. He will be, she assured her master. Jabba may even get to him first. Abruptly, the warmth withdrew, leaving an icy chill behind. Do not underestimate this opponent, the Emperor warned, his thoughts dark. Remember Bespin. Mara grimaced. Yes, Cloud City on Bespin and the duel between Skywalker and Darth Vader. Skywalker had acquitted himself well in battle, far better than either Vader or the Emperor had expected him to. And in the midst of battle, Vader had proposed that the two of them form an alliance against the Emperor. Vader had later denied it, of course, claiming that the offer had merely been part of his lure to confuse Skywalker and entrap him to the dark side. But the Emperor knew Vader's thoughts and feelings, and he knew that was not the entire truth. Which is why Mara was here, and why she had come alone. She was the Emperor's hand, with powers in the Force that had been trained, nurtured, and strengthened by the Emperor himself. And one of those powers was the ability to cloak her feelings from even so powerful a Dark Jedi as Lord Darth Vader. He might wonder afterward if the Emperor had a role in Skywalker's death, but he would never know for certain. And with Skywalker gone, the matter would be over. Vader would never defy the Emperor alone. I remember Bespin, Mara promised. Skywalker will die here. The Emperor smiled. And then another face was there, superimposed on Mara's vision. A young woman with dark hair wearing a dark red jumpsuit. Are you Arika? Mara blinked and the Emperor's face vanished only the lingering sense of his distant presence remaining. Yes, she said, sorry, I was just thinking. The other woman gave her a knowing smile. Sure you were. She waved a hand around her. I'll bet your first week's pay that you were thinking you'd made a big mistake coming here. Mara looked around, the dancer's pit, they called the prep room. And it was fully deserving of that name. Oh, I don't know, she said diplomatically. I've been in worse places. Better than the Rancor Pit, anyway, the other shrugged. Don't worry, the money's a lot better than the facilities. I hope so, Mara said, wondering what a Rancor Pit was. The implied fringe benefits weren't all that enticing. The woman laughed. Ah, yeah, the fat man. He gave you his important person routine, didn't he? Something like that. Well, don't worry, he's mostly harmless. I'll tell you later what buttons to push to keep him off you. I'm Alina Karnas, by the way, former dancer, current dance designer, sort of general runaround person. Come on, let's go to the throne room. I'll present you to his exaltedness. They headed down one of the dark tunnels that seemed to make up the bulk of this place. Mara crinkled her nose at the odors, wishing the quick briefing she'd had on Jabba and his palace had been more comprehensive. Perhaps she should consider wrangling herself a trip over to Bestine and see if she could get some up-to-date information on Jabba and his entourage from Governor Aryan's office. Still, that might prove dangerous in the long run. To access Imperial data files, she would have to identify herself as a high Imperial agent, and truly capable governors were not assigned to dustballs like Tatooine. Governor Aryan could be too lazy or incompetent to keep Jabba's spies off her pay list or could be on Jabba's paylist herself. Worse, even the slightest exposure here could eventually find its way back to Lord Vader. Besides, this was just a simple assassination. Quick in, quick kill, quick out. No. She would handle this one on her own. There's the throne room, Melina said, pointing ahead toward an archway that opened into a well-furnished chamber. Oh, and look, we seem to have a show going. Mara caught her breath. The show was Luke Skywalker, or rather a hollow of him, a pre-recorded message projected by a squat R2-D2 astromech droid with a C-3PO protocol droid hovering nervously beside him. Skywalker's droids, all right, the ones who'd played key roles in the destruction of the Emperor's prized Death Star. 
I present to you a gift, these two droids. The protocol droid squawked. I wonder who that is, Melina murmured. I don't know, Mara said, frowning at the image. She'd read all that the Emperor had on Skywalker, his background, his upbringing right here on Tatooine, his brief training under Obi-Wan Kenobi, the immense trouble he'd been so far to the Empire. But this was not the tentative, callow kid she'd seen in those recordings. The Luke Skywalker she was seeing and hearing now was poised, self-assured, confident of his power. And with a lightsaber prominently displayed at his belt, too. A replacement probably constructed himself for the one he'd lost at Bespin. The Emperor had been right. Skywalker was indeed more dangerous than Mara had given him credit for. The message finished and the droids were hustled away. The 3 PO wailing the whole way. Okay, Melina said, taking Mara's arm. Chin up, Arika. Let's go meet the hut. By the time the protocol droid was brought back, the throne room had become crowded, thick with humans and aliens and smoke and noise. In the background, a third-rate band was playing. In the center, in front of Jabba's throne, a young Twi'lek woman was dancing. Her name was Ula, and she was pretty good. Standing by the archway leading back to the dancer's pit, staying to the background, Mara kept half an eye on Ula's performance as she studied the room and its occupants. A decidedly motley crowd, no doubt about it, ranging from obviously hungry nobodies trying to impress Jabba with their toughness, right up to some of the nastiest names on the Imperial Locate and Detain list. If Skywalker got this far, he was going to have his hands full. She stiffened. In the back of her mind, her danger sense had just gone off. Deliberately, she took a slow breath, calming her mind and preparing her body for action. Her eyes and mind swept back across the room, seeking the source of the danger. Just in time to see Jabba hit a button on his throne, opening a section of the floor directly beneath Ula. The dancer's scream was piercing, fading off into the distance. Jabba's throne slid forward over the trap door toward a large grating that had opened up in the floor, a grating the rest of the company was already scrambling to get a place at. Mara spotted Melina Karnas crouching at one edge, peering eagerly at whatever was happening down there. There was another, more distant scream. And then, suddenly, the show was forgotten. From the archway on the far side of the throne room came the sound of blaster fire. There was a brief commotion, and then, pushing haughtily past the guards, an armed and armored figure appeared, leading a Wookiee in chains. Not just any Wookiee, Chewbacca, companion and co-pilot to Han Solo. Boosh, someone beside her muttered. Well, so much for the bounty on Chewbacca. Mara smiled tightly, so simple, so classic, so unimaginative. The best way to infiltrate an enemy stronghold, they always thought, was to come in disguise, bringing something or someone the enemy wanted. But this time it wasn't going to work. Frowning slightly with concentration, trying to ignore the noisy clutter of all the other minds in the room, she drew on the Emperor's power within her and focused on the figure in the armored suit. She touched the mind and blinked in surprise. It wasn't Skywalker at all. It was a woman. A woman? There was some byplay. Jabba offering too low a price, the figure arguing the point with the thermal detonator. Mara waited till it was over and the Wookiee had been dragged away. Then she made her way through the reinvigorated party atmosphere to where the bounty hunter Boba Fett stood silent guard. Excuse me, sir, she said timidly reaching a hand almost to his shoulder and then stopping, as if she'd been planning to tap him there and then suddenly thought better of it. My name's Arika. I just came in today. That thing with the bounty hunter, that was pretty scary. Does that sort of thing happen often? For a moment, he just stared at her. And for that same long moment, Mara thought the game was up. Boba Fett had done a fair amount of quiet work for the Empire over the years, and it was entirely possible that he had spotted her at some point in the Emperor's entourage. She reached out with the Force, trying to touch his mind, but his control was excellent, and nothing she could read gave her any clues. Nice to meet you, Arika, he said at last, in the flat voice that so terrified his victims and impressed him, his employers. Don't worry about Boosh. He might have looked crazy right then, but he's not. 
Don't worry about anyone else. Jabba knows who can be trusted, and no one else gets in. He tapped the blaster rifle at his side, and I stay around here a lot between jobs. I'm glad, Mara breathed. Thank you. I feel much better. My pleasure. She smiled at him and moved away. So Boosh was indeed a man, or at least the real Boosh was. So who was this woman? One of Skywalker's allies? Or someone from the fringe trying to make a name for herself and the Wookiee had just gotten careless? It almost didn't matter. Myra was here to get Skywalker and Skywalker alone. Anyone else was just clutter. Jabba's people ought to be capable of handling clutter. A quiet word about this Boosh imposter in the hut's ear should do the trick. Eventually, when he ran out of allies and droids, Skywalker would have to come himself. He came a day later in the morning at the break of dawn, as Jabba and his entourage were still snoring away the after-effects of their late-night celebration over the unmasking and capture of Princess Leia Organa. Mara's danger sense gave her advance warning. To her surprise, it was all the warning anyone got. Without a whisper or noise of trouble from the supposedly alert guards outside, Skywalker was suddenly there in the throne room, Jabba's Twi'lek Major Domo docilely letting him in. Skywalker's Hollow had prepared Mara for an achievement of this caliber. Even so, she was impressed. Some of the guards were beginning to move into position around Skywalker as the Twi'lek stepped to his master's side and murmured in his ear. Jabba came awake with a jerk, his huge bleary eyes blinking as he took stock of the situation. He looked at the Twi'lek and at Skywalker. And then he laughed. The deep rumbling echoed through the throne room, rousing the rest of the company into a deep, fogged scramble for consciousness in their feet. A few blasters appeared, but most weapons stayed in their holsters as brain-fuzzed courtiers tried to figure out whether this silent figure in hooded cloak was a friend or some unlikely foe. It was the moment Mara had been waiting for. Quiet confusion. No one quite sure what was happening. No one quite sure where anyone else was. The moment to strike. Danger sense still tingling, she took a silent step to her right where one of Jabba's younger human guards was gripping his force pike and trying mightily to make sense of the situation. His blaster rested ignored in its holster. Reaching smoothly around behind him, Mara got a grip on it and froze as a hard object jabbed firmly into the small of her back. She'd been wrong. That tingle of danger hadn't been coming from Skywalker. Nice and easy, Melina Karnas murmured in her ear. Let's just ease our way back down the tunnel, unless you'd rather die right here. Silently, furious with herself, Mara let Melina guide her backward out of the throne room. A quiet security guard, one of many probably, forming an extra barrier between Jabba and his enemies. She should have known such a lair would exist in a place like this and had been watching for it. Concentrating exclusively on Skywalker and his friends instead, she'd been sloppy. From the throne room came a sudden commotion and a single blaster shot. Mara craned her neck, but they were too far away for her to see what was happening. Curious, huh? Melina commented. Was he one of yours? Turn here. Very carefully. Mara did as ordered, studying Melina out of the corner of her eye as she turned and stared down the indicated tunnel. Melina had the blaster, but she, Mara, had the training, with the Emperor's strength and will to drive it. If she reached out through the Force right now and snatched the blaster away, glanced down at Melina's hand. No, not from a grip that tight. Not while the other getting at least one shot off first. Mind tricks, then? There are several ways to soothe or confuse, or just plain incapacitate an enemy by jabbing with the Force directly into the victim's mind. But all the techniques required at least a little time to take effect, and in Melina's alert state of mind, there was a good chance she'd again get off that one shot. You're being awfully quiet, Melina commented as they walked. That's because I don't have any idea what's going on, Mara told her. I haven't done anything. Sure you have, Melina said grimly. You haven't infiltrated here under false pretenses or lied about who and what you are, or conspired with the Lady Valerian to assassinate Jabba. She jabbed the blaster muzzle into Mara's back. Have you? 
Mara blinked. An assassination plot? Here? And without her even noticing. That wasn't just sloppy. That was embarrassing. I don't know what you're talking about, she protested, trying one last time. I really have nothing against Jabba. Really? Sure you haven't. You just wanted that guard's blaster as a souvenir, Melina jabbed again. In here. It was another tunnel, this one slanting sharply downward before leveling out and bending away out of sight. Loitering just inside the tunnel entrance were a pair of Gamorian guards, leaning casually on their force pikes and grunting quietly to each other. What in blazes are you two doing here? Melina snarled at them. Straighten up. Now. Slowly. Obviously bewildered as to why a lowly dance designer should be giving them orders, they pulled themselves up a bit more. That's better, Melina growled, but just marginally. Who do you think you are, anyway? The Imperial Royal Guard? Get off your rears and take this woman down to the dungeons for me. She gave Mara a shove toward them. Get going. Be a good girl. Maybe I'll ask Jabba to let you die quickly. I appreciate it, Mara said, looking back over her shoulder. She still couldn't safely snatch the blaster from Melina's grip. But what she could do... Reaching out with the force, she gave the muzzle a sharp twist to the right. There was a flash as Melina reflexively fired. The blaster sounded twice as loud as usual on the confines of the tunnel. It was followed by a grunt of pain and rage from the Gamorrean Melina had just shot. The other Gamorrean grunted too, and the two of them lowered their force pikes and lumbered toward this human who had unreasonably attacked them. Melina's expression at what she'd just done was priceless, but Mara didn't have time to enjoy it. With her captor's attention distracted, now was the time to act. Ducking between the Gamorreans, she sprinted down the tunnel. Stop her! Melina shouted, but the guards paid no attention. A pair of quick shots lit up the tunnel, scattering rock chips and spurts of dust. And then it was just the grunts of the slug-brained Gamorreans and Melina's angry and incessantly frantic shouts. Mara kept running hoping she could get out of the line of fire before they got things straightened out on their end. Near the bottom of the tunnel came her first opportunity, a curved and highly odoriferous cross tunnel that branched off to the left. Throwing a last glance back at the noisy confrontation, she ducked down it. It was short, no more than 20 meters, and was almost a dead end. Almost. At the end was a rock wall with a half-meter square ventilation grating cut into it a grating that was literally shaking with the growls of something behind it. Cautiously, she stepped up to it and looked in. The roaring was coming from probably the largest and ugliest biped creature she'd ever seen. A creature which, judging from the number of bones lying around the stinking filth of the pit, was both carnivorous and ravenous, and which at the moment seemed intent on making a snack out of Luke Skywalker. Pressing her face against the grating, the stench forgotten, Mara watched as Skywalker scrambled out from beneath a small ledge and dashed between the creature's legs toward a tunnel-shaped area of the pit she couldn't see from her angle. This was perfect. The creature could make short work of Skywalker in front of the dozens of witnesses she could hear cheering it on, and without a single link, Vader could backtrack to either her or the Emperor. And if for some reason the creature needed help, well, she was right here to give it. The creature had turned around now, thudding its way in pursuit. Skywalker himself was out of sight, but from the noise coming from the direction, she could tell that Jabba's people were blocking his escape. It should be over quickly. And then, without warning, something small came flying through the air right at the edge of her vision, slamming into a control panel set into the stone wall. There was a flash of sparks, the creak of released machinery, and the heavy, serrated bottom door dropped out of the ceiling catching the creature across the back of its massive neck and driving it to the floor. It growled one last whimper and lay still. Mara stared at the Hulk, not believing it. Skywalker had killed it. Alone, unarmed, he'd actually killed it. And judging from the tone of the Hattice words rumbling down through the stunned silence from above, Jabba wasn't at all happy about it. Mara took a deep breath of the fretted air. All right, fine. So the creature hadn't killed Skywalker, but now Jabba would. Probably viciously, too, if even half of the stories about the hut were true. Served Skywalker right. He had to have been grossly stupid and grossly overconfident to both have come here alone and unarmed this way. 
The stinging air seemed to freeze in her throat, two mental images abruptly superimposing themselves on the scene in front of her. Skywalker running away from the creature, Skywalker delivering his hollow message to Jabba. His new lightsaber. He hadn't brought it with him, or rather, he hadn't brought it himself. The Wookiee didn't have it. He'd have nowhere to hide it. The protocol droid didn't have it. Leia Organa certainly didn't have it. The astromech droid. She cursed under her breath. No, it wasn't Skywalker who was being overconfident. It was Jabba. And suddenly, this whole thing was up to her again. Stepping back from the grating, she looked for some kind of opening mechanism. Her danger sense triggered a split second before she heard the shuffling behind her on the tunnel floor. She spun around, dropping into combat stance. The Gamorrean guards she'd left at the top of the tunnel had caught up with her, and they'd brought a half-dozen friends with them. Two by two, blocking her exit with their bulk. They started toward her. Mara didn't have time for this, and she wasn't in the mood for it anyway. Reaching out with the force, she jabbed hard at the minds of the first two guards. They stopped short, quivered for a moment on their thick legs, their long force pikes dropping with a clatter from their limp hands. Then, to the obvious consternation of those behind them, they collapsed. Mara had one of the force pikes in her hands before they hit the floor. Swinging it expertly around in the confines of the tunnel, she fainted past the weapons on the second row of guards and slashed the deadly power tip across their faces. They staggered, clutching their wounds, and fell back against the third row. Jumping up on the backs of the first downed Gamorians, Mara again jabbed past the momentary tangle to cut into the next row. A brief minute later, it was over. Breathing heavily, she turned back to the grating. The Force Pike's blade made a fair racket as it cut through the metal, there was probably enough of a ruckus going down from Jabba's throne room to cover it. Pitching the force pike through the opening, she squirmed her way into the pit. The place was even more disgusting than it had looked from the outside. The door that had killed the creature was blocking any exit in that direction, but there was a small round hatchway partway up the opposite wall. The force pike made quick work of the hatchway, revealing a steep but climbable slide behind it probably the end of the route that started at Jabba's trap door. Grabbing a nearby bone that was slightly longer than the slide's width, she wedged it into the opening and pulled herself inside. Alternating her bracing between the bone and her own leg, she started up. She came out a couple of meters short, the section directly beneath the trap door turning out to be a wide, straight drop that funneled the victim into the slide. Wedging the bone against the slide opening, she eased her way up to a precarious standing position. A small connection box was set into the wall. A careful prodding of the right connector and the two sections of the trap door dropped open above her. No one fell through or peered down at her. In fact, what conversation she could hear sounded distant. Grimacing to herself, hoping she wasn't too late, she got a grip on the edge of one of the trap doors and started climbing. The throne room was empty as she pulled herself over the edge, but the rapidly fading noise showed her which way they'd gone. Following the sounds, watching for guards who may have been alerted about her, she headed in pursuit. Skywalker was out there somewhere, with luck and the Force. Maybe she could still catch up with him. Beyond the milling crowd in the vast vehicle hangar was a large sail barge, busily taking on passengers. To one side, a pair of skiffs were similarly being loaded. Guards were everywhere, human, Gamorrean, and a half dozen other species. On the skiffs, on the sail barge, roughly controlling the crowd as they weeded out those apparently not invited to go along. Wherever Skywalker was in all that, assuming he was there at all, Mara couldn't spot him. But she could see Jabba. He was on his float, surrounded by guards and lackeys, being maneuvered toward the sail barge's lift. Pushing through the crowd, she hurried toward him. The guards were watching as she approached, but she couldn't read anything but normal caution in their faces and stances. Apparently, word of her alleged involvement with this Lady Valerian hadn't gotten to them yet. Your exaltedness, she called, stopping just short of the warning ring of weapons. Your exaltedness, please. Jabba turned his head toward her. I'm Arika, your exaltedness, she called. One of your dancers. Could I please come along with you? The hut rumbled something and gestured to one of the guards, who in turn prodded the C-3PO protocol droid. Oh, uh, the great job of the hut says no. The droid translated distractedly, not even looking at Mara. 
which followed his gaze to one of the skiffs, just in time to catch a fleeting glimpse of Skywalker standing proud and straight as the skiff took off through the hangar door. And he was getting away. Please, your exaltedness, Mara begged, putting all the strength of her most powerful force mind control technique behind the words. Might as well have spat at a stone wall. The hut chuckled, his eyes swiveled to face her, and spoke again. The great job of the hut says you are to leave him now, the protocol droid said, still gazing forlornly after the departing skiff. He says a land speeder will be placed at your disposal and that you are not to be seen here again. For a moment, Mara locked eyes with the hut, trying futilely to read the impenetrable alien mind. Did he have some idea of who she was, perhaps even of why she was here? Or did he merely suspect, as Melina had, that she was part of a conspiracy and was hoping she would lead him to his enemies? It didn't really matter. She couldn't catch Skywalker's skiff with a land speeder. And she couldn't fight all of them. One way or another, it was time to go. I thank your exaltedness for his kindness, she said, matching ambiguity with ambiguity. May you live forever. So you have failed, the Emperor's thoughts said, the chill of his anger sending a shiver through Mara despite the blazing heat of Tatooine's twin sons. I am disappointed, Mara Jade. Disappointed, indeed. I know, Mara answered, the bitter taste of defeat mixing with the grit of sand in her mouth as the land speeder skimmed across the desert. But perhaps Jabba can deal with him. His anger had made her shiver. His contempt now made her ache. Do you seriously believe that? She sighed. No. For a moment, he was silent, and Mara could sense him reaching deeply into the force, searching into the future. Skywalker is of no immediate importance, he said at last. Continue on to Sivavren. We will discuss this when you return. The image and sense faded, and he was gone. With a sigh, Myra returned her full attention to the desert landscape before her. So she had failed, her first true failure, since the Emperor had designated her his hand. It hurt terribly. But it was all right. She would make it all right. Skywalker might escape now, but he couldn't avoid her forever. Eventually, somewhere, she'd catch up with him. And then he would die. Brother to the Machine by Richard Matheson He stepped into the sunlight and walked among the people. His feet carried him away from the black tube depths. The distant roar of underground machinery left his brain to be replaced by myriad whispers of the city. Now he was walking the main street. Men of flesh and men of steel passed him by, coming and going. His legs moved slowly, and his footsteps were lost in a thousand footsteps. He passed a building that had died in the last war. 
they were scurrying men and robots pulling off the rubble to build again. Over their heads hung the control ship and he saw men looking down to see that work was being done properly. He slipped in and out among the crowd, no fear of being seen, only inside of him there was a difference. Eyes would never know it. Visio poles, set at every corner, could not glean the change. In form and visage, he was just like all the rest. He looked at the sky. He was the only one. The others didn't know about the sky. It was only when you broke away that you could see. He saw a rocket ship flashing across the sun, and control ships hovering in a sky rich with blue and fluffy clouds. The dull-eyed people glanced at him suspiciously and hurried on. The blank-faced robots made no sign. They clanked on past, holding their envelopes and their packages in long metal arms. He lowered his eyes and kept walking. A man cannot look at the sky, he thought. It is suspect to look at the sky. Would you help him, buddy? He paused, and his eyes flickered down to the card on the man's chest. Ex-space pilot, blind, legalized beggar, signed by the stamp of the control commissioner. He put his hand on the blind man's shoulder. The man did not speak, but passed by and moved on, his cane clacking on the sidewalk until he had disappeared. He was not allowed to beg in this district. They would find him soon. He turned from watching and strode on. The visiopoles had seen him pause and touch the blind man. It was not permitted to pause on business streets to touch another. He passed a metal news dispenser and, brushing by, pulled out a sheet. He continued on and held it up before his eyes. Income taxes raised, military draft raised, prices raised. Those were the story heads. He turned it over. On the back was an editorial that told why Earth forces had been compelled to destroy all the Martians. Something clicked in his mind and his fingers closed slowly in a tight fist. He passed his people, men and robots both. What distinction now, he asked himself. The common classes did the same work as the robots. Together they walked or drove through the streets, carrying and delivering. To be a man, he thought, no longer is it a blessing, a pride, a gift. To be brother to machine, used and broken by invisible men who kept their eyes on poles and their fists bunched in ships that hung over all their heads, waiting to strike at opposition. When it came to you one day that this was so, you saw there was no reason to go on with it. He stopped in the shade and his eyes blinked. He looked at the shop window. There were tiny baby creatures in a cage. Buy a Venus baby for your child said the card. He looked into the eyes of the small tentacled things and saw their intelligence and pleading misery. Then he passed on, ashamed of what one people can do to another people. Something stirred within his body. He lurched a little and pressed his hand against his head. His shoulders twitched. When a man is sick, he thought he cannot work. And when a man cannot work, he is not wanted. He stepped into the street and a huge control truck ground to a stop inches before him. He walked away jerkily, leaped up on the sidewalk. Someone shouted, and he ran. Now the photocells would follow him. He tried to lose himself in the moving crowds. People whirled by an endless blur of faces and bodies. They would be searching now. When a man stepped in front of a vehicle, he was suspect. To wish death was not allowed. He had to escape before they caught him and took him to an adjustment center. He couldn't bear that. People and robots rushed past him. Messengers, delivery boys, the bottom level of an era. All going somewhere. In all these scurrying thousands, only he had no place to go. No bundle to deliver. No slavish duty to perform. He was adrift. Street after street, block on block, he felt his body weaving. He was going to collapse soon, he felt. He was weak. He wanted to stop. But he couldn't stop. Not now. If he paused, sat down to rest, they would come for him and take him to an adjustment center. He didn't want to be adjusted. He didn't want to be made once more into a stupid shuffling machine. It was better to be in anguish and to understand. He stumbled on 
Bleeding horns tore at his brain. Neon eyes blinked down at him as he walked. He tried to walk straight, but his system was giving way. Were they following? He would have to be careful. He kept his face blank, and he walked as steadily as he could. His knee joint stiffened, and, as he bent to rub it in his hands, a wave of darkness leapt up from the ground and clawed at him. He staggered against a plate glass window. He shook his head and saw a man staring from inside. He pushed away. The man came out and stared at him in fear. The photocells picked him up and followed him. He had to hurry. He couldn't be brought back to start all over again. He'd rather be dead. A sudden idea. Cold water. Only to drink? Gonna die, he thought. But I will know why I am dying. And that will be different. I have left the laboratory where, daily, I was sated with calculations for bombs and gases and bacterial sprays. All through those long days and nights of plotting destruction, the truth was growing in my brain. Connections were weakening, indoctrinations faltering as effort fought with apathy. And finally, something gave, and all that was left was weariness and truth and a great desire to be at peace. And now he had escaped and he would never go back. His brain had snapped forever and they would never adjust him again. He came out to the Citizens Park, last outpost for the old, the crippled, the useless, where they could hide away and rest and wait for death. He entered through the wide gate and looked at the high walls which stretched beyond sight, the walls that hid the ugliness from outside eyes. It was safe here. They did not care if a man died inside the Citizens Park. This is my island, he thought. I have found a silent place. There are no probing photocells here and no ears listening. A person can be free here. His legs felt suddenly weak and he leaned against a blackened, dead tree and sank down into the moldy leaves lying deep on the ground. An old man came by and stared at him suspiciously. The old man walked on. He could not stop to talk, for minds were still the same even when the shackles had been burst. Two old ladies passed him by. They looked at him and whispered to one another. He was not an old person. He was not allowed in the citizens' park. The control police might follow him. There was danger, and they hurried on, casting frightened glances over their lean shoulders. When he came near, they scurried over the hill. He walked. Far off he heard a siren, the high screeching siren of the control police cars. Were they after him? Did they know he was there? He hurried on, his body twitching as he loped up a sun-baked hill and down the other side. The lake, he thought. I am looking for the lake. He saw a fountain and stepped down the slope and stood by it. There was an old man bent over it. It was the old man who had passed him. The old man's lips enveloped the thin stream of water. He stood there quietly, shaking. The old man did not know he was there. He drank and drank. The water dashed and sparkled in the sun. His hands reached out for the old man. The old man felt his touch and jerked away, water running across his gray-bearded chin. He backed away, staring open-mouthed. He turned quickly and hobbled away. He saw the old man run. Then he bent over the fountain. The water gurgled in his mouth. It ran down and up into his mouth and poured out again, tastelessly. He straightened up suddenly, a sick burning in his chest. The sun faded to his eyes. The sky became black. He stumbled about on the pavement, his mouth opening and closing. He tripped over the edge of the walk and fell to his knees on the dry ground. He crawled in on the dead grass and fell on his back his stomach grinding, water running over his chin. He lay there with the sun shining on his face, and he looked at it without blinking. Then he raised his hands and put them over his eyes. An ant crawled across his wrist. He looked at it stupidly. Then he put the ant between two fingers and squashed it to a pulp. He sat up. He couldn't stay where he was. Already they might be searching the park, their cold eyes scanning the hills, moving like a horrible tide through his last outpost where old people were allowed to think if they were able to. He got up and staggered around clumsily, 
and started for the path, stiff-legged, looking for a lake. He turned a bend and walked in a weaving line. He heard whistles. He heard a distant shout. They were looking for him. Even here in the citizen's park where he thought he could escape and find the lake in peace. He passed an old shut-down merry-go-round. He saw the little wooden horses in gay poses, galloping high and motionless, caught fast in time, green and orange with heavy tassels all covered with thick dust. He reached a sunken walk and started down it. There were gray stone walls on both sides. Sirens were all around in the air. They knew he was loose, and they were coming to get him now. A man could not escape. It was not done. He shuffled across the road and moved up the path. Turning, he saw far off men running. They wore black uniforms, and they were waving at him. He hurried on, his feet thudding endlessly on the concrete walk. He ran off the path and up a hill and tumbled in the grass. He crawled into scarlet-leaved bushes and watched through waves of dizziness as the men of the control police dashed by. Then he got up and started off, limping, his eyes staring ahead. At last, the shifting, dull glitter of the lake. He hurried on now, stumbling and tripping, only a little way. He lurched across the field. The air was thick with the smell of rotting grass. He crashed through the bushes, and there were shouts, and someone fired a gun. He looked back stiffly to see if the men were running after him. He plunged into the water, flopping on his chest with a great splash. He struggled forward, walking on the bottom, until the water had flooded over his chest, his shoulders, and his head, still walking while it washed into his mouth, filled his throat, and weighted his body, dragging him down. His eyes were wide and staring as he gently slid forward onto his face on the bottom. His fingers closed in the silt, and he made no move. Later, the control police dragged him out and threw him in the black truck and drove off. And inside, the technician tore off the sheeting and shook his head at the sight of the tangled coils and water-soaked machinery. They go bad, he muttered as he probed with pliers and picks. They crack up and think their men go wandering. Too bad they don't work as good as people. Thank you, everybody. That was my first attempt at two different styles of authors' stories. Um, on the Facebook group, it looks like Lovecraft pulled ahead uh, after I started recording these. So I think for Halloween, I will choose one of his longer ones, maybe, and um, we'll do a special Lovecraft episode probably around the time that uh, Outside the Cinema goes to Rock and Shock. So thank you, everybody. Um, I know there's cadence and pronunciation and stuff that could be done differently, but I'm learning. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if I do it again. <laughs> um, all right. The uh, feedback is areyouseriouspodcast at gmail.com, or you can send a voicemail to that email address. 
um, or just uh, talk on our Facebook group. Um, yeah, that's it. We'll uh, we'll be back next week with more bullshit. Bye.